Hello, Emily. Uh, hi. <laughs> We're here again. We are. Is it episode 45? I think so. That's what I have in my notes, but even as I was typing it, I'm like, what? <laughs> so, presumably, it's episode 45 of the Uh-Oh sure. Feeling. Woo! Yay, I'm Taylor. I'm Emily. Yay. We're going to tell each other stories about survival, but first... <laughs> for, actually, you know what? Before we even introduce the new element to our podcast that you're surprising me with this time, I want to talk to you about cannibal sandwiches. Oh, I saw I saw Did someone you share that? a post, but I didn't read it. Yeah, so I learned a thing today. I didn't know this, and it's weird because like we're from Wisconsin. We've lived here for like ostensibly our whole lives. Yep. And uh, I didn't know that cannibal sandwiches are a thing in the Milwaukee and southeast Wisconsin area yeah, specifically. I didn't fucking know. Yeah. I'm from Milwaukee, and I had no idea. It's crazy, and... Anyway, they call them for realsies, cannibal sandwiches. Yeah, there was a picture. Yeah, there was. But it it's just... Janky uh, as fuck. It was nasty looking. Yeah. It's raw beef Ooh. on bread with like raw onions and then just like some salt and pepper. And that's it. And there are some places like some like delis and restaurants and stuff that at a certain time of year, it's like a holiday thing. They will go through thousands of pounds of raw fucking beef. And a, so I guess that's just a thing we do here. And now I'm like, oh, no, no. do I have to try this sometime? No, no, no. Uh, look, they have beef tartare, you know? It's just, like, less that's fancy. Like high end, though. It's not yeah. just, like, fucking hamburger. But if it, though, right? If it comes from, like, a butcher shop and I could be like, you know where you got this cow and you know you got it today, right? Like, it's all one thing. Yeah, uh-huh. And, and you killed it today. No. I might try it out. Like, maybe. I don't know that we can be friends anymore. <laughs> I just love... I you just... want some raw hamburger on some Wonder Bread right? with some onions. <laughs> I'm just in love with the fact that this is called Cannibal Sandwiches in Milwaukee, the home of Jeffrey Demare. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to make him fancier than he is. Well, Jeffrey Dahmer needed, you know, a new look for Jeffrey 2019. Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer. And, like, we don't care, I guess. Like, we're just like, yeah, cannibal sandwiches, absolutely. Let's sure, pretend. okay. We're eating human flesh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that was a new thing I learned today. And, you know, maybe for our, like, 100th episode, someday nope. in the future, nope. we'll go eat nope. cannibal sandwiches. Nope. I'll go watch you eat a I will, cannibal sandwich. I will eat one in front of you. Maybe. And I will judge you. Do you think Kat would eat it with me? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, she eats anything. <laughs> so I think I think we could do that, and you could, like, report on our faces yeah. as we do it. So, yeah, look forward we'll to that, you guys. Be vegetarian that day. Yes. Please comment on our fucking Facebook or Twitter or anything if you have eaten one of these and what that experience was like, because I am dying to know. <sighs> so, yeah. We've talked about that. What do you have for me now, Emily? <laughs> I'm so afraid. So last week was my birthday. Mm-hmm. So I thought, as gentle payback for dusty wine. For the nasty dusty wine. Mm-hmm. I was, I was going to just pick up a mystery bottle of booze. And then I was at work today talking with one of our friends. And I'm like, why just go for one when I could just get an assortment? Oh, no. So I have in my little bag. Yeah, in, in, in between us is sitting a brown paper bag. There's a video of it on Instagram and on our Twitter. I'm so afraid of what's in here. And I have 
I have two bottles specifically for us of things I I'm 90% sure we're going to like. Oh, she just pulled those out of nowhere like a magician. Yeah. All right. Came from my butt. Oh, good. So. Oh, I literally have a larger version of this see, in my kitchen yeah. right now. I do uh-huh. like it. It uh-huh. is it is Jose Cuervo traditional. It's so, you know, they say it's got the agave 100%. I'm like, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this is like and, a nice uh, bottle though. It's glass. Yeah. yeah. Most of these are glass. I didn't nice. go like super bad but like some of them <laughs> some of them are just like you don't know what's gonna happen yeah what did you get yourself i got jameson nice also glass nice <laughs> dink 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 yeah so that's the stuff and we then know we, we like beers because i was i wasn't gonna be like super cruel about this right oh my god okay all right the rest is a mystery i'm so afraid when do we I don't know. I mean, if I'm about to start my story, should we pull out one first? Yeah. Are we and just grab bagging it? I have a mini game at the beginning of mine. Oh, shit. Cool. Depending okay. on if you can identify what I'm going to talk about. Oh. So you'll either get one bottle or two. Oh, God. Because okay. if you can't guess it by the third fucking thing, I'm, we can't be friends I'm anymore. I'm a bad person. I, I hate being put on the spot like this. I'm going to get it wrong, you guys. And then she's going to stop the podcast <laughs> in the middle there and walk away. There will be no cannibal sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were pretty much over those anyway. But look, okay, I'm going to do my best. Should I, should I just pull one uh-huh. out of it? Okay. Yep. Yep. I am, I'm reaching in the bag. This is sonically horrifying. And existentially and in reality, horrifying. There's so many bottles in here. <laughs> what the fuck am I grabbing at? Ooh, kinky pink. <laughs> could be worse, could be worse. But I've never actually had kinky. I like kinky. Yeah? Kinky's one of the nicer ones in there. Okay. Oh, I got lucky. What she's going to pull. Emily's pulling. Oh, God. Oh, shit. What, what did you get? It's the it's a tippy cow peppermint bark. Ooh, could be terrible, could be good. Yeah. Dink it. Are we just taking the whole thing? Uh-huh. All right. Uh-huh. The whole of that was in my mouth first, because I'm really bad at opening my throat. <laughs> hey, that was pretty good, actually. I mean, you can tell the vodka in there is not good vodka, but it's yeah. covered up by other stuff. <laughs> How was yours? It was like... Someone took Bailey's mm-hmm. and just like crushed a whole bunch of Thin Mints into it. I don't know. That sounds okay. It was it was okay. <laughs> it's not like the worst thing that's in the bag. Okay, great. Can't wait to see the worst things that are in the bag. <sighs> yeah. All right. Uh-huh. Well, I'm going first this time, and I don't have a cool mini game, but <laughs> I hope that I hope that you'll enjoy hearing about our survivor. Lydia Preston, she survived our horrible person and He-Man wannabe, <laughs> Thor Nice Christensen. I'm going to show Emily a picture of, of Thor, but like, Thor. yeah, the thing is he deserves the name Thor, but only kind of just because he's blonde. Look at his hair. Okay. So he's got a weird bowl cut that kind of grew out on the bottom. Exactly. Like he... You know He-Man, right? Like, that fucking haircut mm-hmm. in the cartoon, that's the legit haircut he has. And he has that, like, golden blonde hair that only Nordic people have. Mm-hmm. And he is originally from Denmark. So... And I cry. Oh, my God, did I cry? <laughs> we have to end the podcast. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, so he's your bargain basement Thor. Uh, and he looks like, I wrote this and then now I hate myself. He looks like if you took a Chris Hemsworth Thor action figure and you melted his face a little bit. Does that seem fair? I think. Well, I, I still feel like that'd be handsomer than him. Maybe a little it's like bit. Like if you melted his face and then you kind of squished him. Yeah. You kind of like, you got to let his, all of his features get real droopy. He mm-hmm. looks like a droopy dog Thor crossover. <laughs> oh, jeez. And you know what? We can say this about this guy because one, he dead. Two, he killed four women. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so this is one where I have more on this motherfucker than I have on the, vic- or on the survivor, unfortunately. But I'm doing my best over here. I found everything I could. And this guy... Sometimes it just happens. Yeah. And this guy, I mean, you know, we, we hear about him so that we know what she survived. Oh, buddy's nerfic. Right. So, he was born in Denmark in uh, late 1957. And when he was five, his parents moved to California, and they eventually settled in a place called Solvang, which I have learned today. Spoiler alert, I listened to a My Favorite Murder, where they talk about this. Not the full episode, but a hometown. And uh, I guess Solvang, California, is like a touristy Danish place to be. So they didn't go far. They must've moved to California and been like, well, we got to go to the Denmark part of California. (laughs) So they did that. (laughs) And that is where he lived for a while by all accounts of Thor's early life. I I should call him Christensen. That's his last name, but I want to call him Thor so bad. Thornice. (laughs) Thornice Christensen. Um, So by early accounts of his life, And what I mean by that is like Wikipedia and then all the websites that I found that just copy pasted Wikipedia. Um, He was on track uh, through his junior year of high school, high IQ, good at school, all that shit. And then he found the marijuanas. Uh oh. And we are not. Gateway drug. Yeah, we are not people who really think poorly necessarily about marijuana. But it is funny when sometimes it's like, man, that was it, huh? Your whole life goes down the drain from there, huh? Marijuana, it's like, I'm not going to say it. He also started drinking. That's probably the worst I mean, that's influence. probably the actual thing. <laughs> yeah. And he fell in with kind of a bad crowd. He started skipping school. Oh. Um, yeah, went the way of the wayward youth. Oh. And uh, he eventually dropped out and got a job at a gas station. And then he moved out of his parents' place. So, fuck you, Odin, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> I assume his dad's name was Odin. So, here's where shit takes a turn. Because everything's real normal there. Like, we know a lot of people who were wayward youths and, like, had these issues, and mm-hmm. they were perfectly fine. But here's the next sentence that was in every single thing I read. Because, again, they were all very similar, obviously pulling from the same sources. This is the sentence. During his teens, Christensen began to be obsessed with fantasies of killing women and having sex with their corpses. <laughs> Just, like... We took a left turn in a crazy town, and I don't remember jerking the wheel, but, like, here we are. So, sorry. Mm-hmm. So, in 1976, Christensen, at the age of just 18, stole a 22 caliber pistol from a friend and decided it was time to act on his fantasies. Okay. As, as you sometimes do. Sure. Turn yeah. 18, steal a gun. We're like, let's do this. Yeah, let's kill some women. Let's not. Wow. Okay, whoa. That got harder than... <laughs> okay. So his first three victims, three, <sighs> were killed in late 1976 and early 1977. One of our favorite decades. Yes. So it's the 70s. It's yep. California. Uh-huh. 
and and I'll talk to you in a little bit about how he would pick them up. Do you want to guess? And uh, hitchhikers. Uh huh. Ah. He was one of the dudes, one of the many many dudes in this like whole decade, <laughs> couple of decades that was just doing this all over California. So. His first three victims were killed around Isla Vista, California, which I guess is just like a college town. Sure. Nothing really distinct about it. They were all women of a similar age and appearance. Their names were Jacqueline Ann Rook, 21, Mary Ann Saris, 19, and Patricia Marie Laney, 21. And uh, all of these women were presumed to be hitchhiking at the time. They were known to have done that in the past. Most of them were last seen at bus stops. So instead of waiting for the bus, or maybe they were but hoping to get a, you know, a ride yeah. in the meantime. So Christensen would pull up in his car. When they got in, he would go a few blocks and shoot the women in the head. Just no hesitation, barely talked to them, just shot them in the head because he didn't want them alive. He, he wanted them dead. And he then would proceed to sexually assault and or rape their dead bodies. It's very horrible. He's a monster. Ugh. So all three of these women seemed to disappear without a trace. They were originally just reported missing. Uh, Patricia Laney, the last of the three, was found two days after her disappearance on an isolated northwest road um, outside of Isla Vista. Um, and after searching the area, the authorities also found Jacqueline Rook's body. So they were like, okay, hmm. we've got something here. This is not a one-time... Can't one put time. my finger on it. <laughs> I'm not sure it might be a serial something. Um, Christensen, at the time, was on a list of nearly 100 persons of interest that they interviewed for these crimes. But there was no evidence linking him to the murders. And the police kind of just took him for, like, an asshole, like a punk kid. Again, he's 18. They questioned him, cited him for being a minor in possession of alcohol, because when they picked him up, there was booze on his breath. And they took his gun. And then they sent him on his way. Because apparently just having a gun that isn't yours is fine. Well, he's a white blonde male. Uh-huh. He looks like he looks. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he looks like he looks. He looks like he looks, and it is the decade that it is. <laughs> so... Because that makes sense. <laughs> Look, we've all heard this shit before. Meanwhile, Mary Saris's body was found, wasn't found until May 1977 near Los Alamos. So these murders were a big fucking deal in the area. Um, because like while a lot of these things have been happening over the last 10, 15 years, um, Ila Vista wasn't really one that had to deal with it much. That whole area wasn't really used to it. So three women of the exact same like age and appearance all go disappearing like within a few months of each other. That freaked people out about a lot. It led to protests by young women. They would like demonstrate for awareness of violence against young women. And then they were requesting better transportation options for them. Sure. Um, better busing, cheaper yep. busing. So that there would be fewer so hitchhikers. They hitchhike. Yes, no more hitchhiking. Stop it. Stop it. There were like 15 dudes who were going to kill you at this point. Yeah. It was so fucking Do dangerous. Do not hitchhike in California in the 70s. Seriously. Uh, and also, like, I know that it wasn't just men. Like, women could be involved in these things sometimes. But, like, if a dude pulled over, I'd be like, nah, 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 nah. I'm good. I'm going to yeah. wait for a lady. <laughs> Thanks. Solo lady. Yeah, solo no lady. No couples. No. no kids in the car. Mm -hmm. Solo. Solo lady. 
pre- preferably like either my age or my grandmother's age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. I need someone I can outrun. Exactly. Or someone I can just be like, okay, but instead of murdering me, why don't we just have like a girl's night? Um, <laughs> that works, right? Uh, I'm almost positive okay. that works. Okay. <laughs> so after these initial murders, Christensen kind of ping-ponged. He moved to Oregon. He lost some weight. Then he moved back to Santa Barbara County in California and committed his fourth murder. No murders in Oregon, hmm. apparently. It's just California women he wants to yeah, fuck hard over. To pick up a girl on a bike. Yeah, I, that's probably true. No hitchhikers in Oregon. Laura Sue Benjamin was reported to have been a prostitute and was picked up by Christensen in 1979. I don't know where he got another gun, but we do know that he shot her in the head with a small caliber pistol and raped her body. And her body was found in May of that year on a road. Uh, in the San Gabriel Mountains, just north of Los Angeles. Mm. And then, there was Lydia Preston. Mm. Lydia is our survivor. Three Yay. cheers for Lydia. Hooray. Clink it for Lydia. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Lydia. On April 18th, 1979, so probably after he attacked the last woman, but before her body was found. Mm-hmm. Lydia was hitchhiking in Hollywood, which is fun. Not much is known about Lydia's life as it didn't make it into the press. I read like old press from like then too. And (laughs) very little was in there. Um, That might be on purpose. Yeah, right. I know. I went to the fucking library. (laughs) I flew to California. God. (laughs) Fucking Lydia's nowhere. No, you know, we've talked about this. Sometimes that's on purpose. Yeah. Sometimes these people don't want their details in the press. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and she hasn't, you know, gone on in the decades later and done interviews or anything like that. No, she said, fuck it. Yeah. Like, get me the fuck out of this. So what I do know is that her encounter with Christensen began exactly the same way as the other four murders had. He picked her up in his car, drove a few blocks before pulling over and shooting Lydia in the head. Okay. However, this time, for whatever reason, Christensen's aim was a little off. So he shot Lydia in the side of the head, the bullet mainly hitting her left ear and sort of splintering, lodging parts of the bullet in the side of her skull. So she's f- severely injured. Yeah. Probably deafened by the like bullet going off so fucking close to her yeah. head. I mean, shooting somebody in a car is already like, loud. he probably has tinnitus. Yeah. That's really loud. Loud. Um, so she... But she gets her wits about her pretty fast. She gets the fuck out of that car and she just runs on foot to go find anybody. Gotta love adrenaline. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. That's... Holy shit. That's all that is. Yeah. That's what's powering you at that point because you should just collapse in pain and fear. But sometimes your instincts kick in and it's nice. So, Lydia was treated at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center. Uh, the bullet was removed from her head, but due to its fragmentation, authorities, like, had no way of doing sort of ballistics tests. Mm. I guess they couldn't, like, examine the bullet that well, and they couldn't tell, like, what side it was coming from, whatever. So Lydia was released a few days later, and I genuinely do not know why the search for Christensen did not begin here. None of the articles I found explain this. It's possible she didn't know Christensen's name. Mm. You get somebody in a car and you just go, yep, cool. I got to go up that way. Yep. You don't don't tell me anything about you. I don't know my fucking Uber driver's name and the app tells me. So (laughs) (laughs) I get it. (laughs) 
But I'm sure she was probably able to provide at least a rough description, but who knows? She was shot in the fucking head. <laughs> so, so things didn't start. I mean, they knew they were supposed to be looking for somebody, but they didn't have much to go on. But fear not, because Lydia is not done. Oh, good. On July 11th, 1979, two months after her attack, Lydia walked into the Bottom Line Bar in Hollywood, and Christensen is just in there drinking. And she just sees him. Like, imagine seeing a dude who shot you just no. walking around. Nope. <clears throat> Fucked up. You know. That's traumatizing. Yes. Oh, my God. Horrible. And also, if I'm him, and I shot a lady in a neighborhood, and she got away... I don't think I would make that my, like, go-to hangout spot. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think no. I'd stay out of Hollywood. Especially if you're, like, posing as someone picking up hitchhikers. You obviously have a car. Mm-hmm. Right. Go drink somewhere else. Yeah, dude. They're, well, it's the 70s, so they probably don't have, you know, like, traffic cameras and stuff the way we do now. But, like, anybody, any business camera catches a bleeding woman running out of your car, they got your plates, motherfucker. You're dead. Like... Yeah. He was lucky. Mm. I think it was just the times. Yeah. So she sees him. He's an idiot for even being there. But thank God he was. Because Lydia immediately contacts the authorities. And they have to do a little jurisdiction jockeying because Christensen didn't live in Hollywood, but the crime was perpetrated in Hollywood. And, oh, there's all these other places where bodies were. Exactly. But, you know, they got their asses in gear. And they obtained a warrant based on Lydia's description of Christensen and the fact that he had been arrested for drunk driving less than a week before and there was a gun in his vehicle. So, uh-huh. so they were like, oh, we got this motherfucker. <laughs> so he was arrested in the Goleta apartment he shared with... This is the weirdest part. A young Ted lo- Bundy. Ted fucking <laughs> Bundy. The, both Night Stalkers at once. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no, it's even weirder in my opinion. He shared an apartment with a young woman in her early 20s. Oh. The exact kind of person he was straight up murdering for like three years. Oh, okay. Yeah, her name is Carrie Solitz. Now, no shade on Carrie. Like, I get it. Like, serial killers are really good at being charismatic and lying. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Not but, like, all the time. Usually they get away with it because yeah. they can convince you they're okay, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, she, she kind of did the thing we're all very used to. When the- is expensive. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes you just got to live with a weirdo. Yeah. But, you know, when the press came to her at the time of Christensen's arrest, she said he was very, very nice. He's not capable of murder. These things they're saying are wrong. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, honey. Oh, <laughs> Carrie, it's okay. baby boo-boo butt. I know. Sweet oh, summer child. God. Oh, Carrie. You really got away easy, Carrie. He could have killed you, Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> God damn. But rent is expensive. Yeah. And I'm sure she wasn't singing that tune very long because Christensen was tried in 1980. And uh, he admitted to all of it. He had multiple trials because of the locations of his murders. But he pled guilty to oh. every one of them. Didn't even try. Well, I mean, how how could he even deny it? She right. walked into the bar, saw him sitting there, and mm-hmm. is like, oh, fuck. Right. Plus, he's been questioned about the crimes in the past. Yeah. 
found with a gun on him that he shouldn't have had multiple times that matches the kind that are in the heads of these women. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, eventually you just plead guilty so that they don't, you know, rake you over the coals for months. Uh-huh. Dig more up. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Who knows? Maybe yeah. he had other shit and we, don't, we just never know. Yeah. So he described his fantasies of killing and raping women. Awkward. Blah, blah, blah. He's an asshole. Um, so he was sent to Folsom State Prison. Oh. And I don't even know what sentence he got. I would assume 25 to life, something like that. Life without was, parole. was the 70s. So who knows? Who fucking, he could have gotten five fucking uh-huh. years. Who knows? Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Because on March 30th, 1981, Thor Christensen was stabbed to death in prison. And they never found out who did it. Oh. Yeah, they have no fucking clue. And also, I'm sure nobody gave a shit. No. There's a lot of speculation that, you know, the sexual nature of his crimes makes him yeah. a target. He was young, white, blonde, and his final victim was actually an African-American woman. Oh, fuck. So, you just never know. Very shit racially happens. charged times. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in California and the prison systems. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. You see an Aryan, white, young <sighs> guy walk just in being like... like his last victim was an African-American right. woman. Like, uh, like I kill black women? Like, uh, mm-mm, mm-mm, uh, mm-mm. And I fuck their dead corpses. Exactly. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you're dead. No, nope. You are dead. So <laughs> yeah. sorry. Bye-bye. Whoopsie-daisy. Either way... Thora Christensen died a murderer of four women at the age of 23. Oh, my God. We are quite a few years older than that ourselves. And I'm just, I can't imagine doing all that and being 23. Like, insane. Now, the last thing I did want to bring up, because unfortunately, I don't, again, I don't know what happened to Lydia after this. She did her part. She got him put away, and I assume and hope she just went on with her life and hasn't talked to the media, and that's why I'll never know. But good for her. She's wonderful. I did, however, listen to an episode of My Favorite Murder, as I mentioned, and it's like the it's episode 27. It's the first time they ever go through their, like, huge email full of hometown murders. Yeah. So it's the entire episode. And the last one they talk about, so I listened to an hour's worth of shit just to get here. They talk about a young woman who writes in saying, hey, my mom went on a date with a guy who I am pretty sure is Thorny's Christensen. (laughs) Oh, God. And like not went on a date date like they saw each other in a bar. He was clearly an alcoholic. So he was probably there a lot. She is like, why don't you know, why don't we go hang out somewhere? The bartender told her, don't do that. And she didn't listen. And uh, they end up in his car. He has a creepy van, according to her. Um, Yeah, he takes her to a cemetery. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Where she starts to get really creeped out, but, like, she formulates a plan to just be like, oh, you know what? Oh, my God. This is getting me really turned on. He... Which is really hard to do because, sorry, he didn't just take her to a cemetery. He asked her to put on different women's clothing. Who knows whose clothing this is? Who fucking knows? So she puts on the clothing and is like, this is getting me so hot. Why don't we go to my house? Which, you know, yeah, flaw in the plan going to your house with this dude. But also, at least it's your turf. Mm-hmm. And at least you're not at a fucking cemetery. And at least you're not in his car anymore. So she takes him to his house, pretends to be getting all hot and heavy with him. At the right moment, she hits him over the head with a lamp and tells him to get the fuck out. <gasps> and he leaves. Yeah, because he doesn't want women fighting back. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course not. He wasn't expecting that. No. He was hoping, I mean, at, at, 
a certain point, he probably was like, I guess I could just get laid. She seems really into it. But like, the thing is, could he even get it up if she has a pulse? Right. Who knows? Because there's, like, scientific, like, for people who are necrophiliacs that can't oh, get gross. it. Yeah. Like, gross. I watched a documentary about something related to it. Your I don't life know. life is so weird. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> don't judge me the number of times the words i watched a documentary comes out of your mouth and it's always like the worst shit i've ever heard in my life (laughs) um but yeah so she escaped him too apparently she is another survivor of him that i was not aware of it was very cool good job yeah fuck yeah and um so screw that guy say it with me everybody fuck thor christensen Woo! thanks (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming to my fucking TED Talk. <laughs> I'm, she's, she's looking at me with a face that speaks of impending doom. Is it my turn? It is. It's your turn. I'm so afraid. Oh, God. Okay. I have to answer questions, don't I? Okay. All right. All right. Let's do so, this. So, I wanted to do something big since it was my birthday last week. Yeah. And I'm a big kid now. <laughs> so... That means I can do big kid stories. The fuck does that mean? <laughs> Are you saying the shit you've done in the past <laughs> is all for kids, for children? Because yeah. I can demonstrably say that is untrue. It's fine. So. <laughs> Everyone, get me out of this. If you're hearing this right this, now, I'm already dead. It's going to be a little bit of a different format than I normally do. Oh, okay. I'm like trying something out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just gonna be a whole thing so let's talk about something that happened in american history oh oh, good wait no i was gonna add something in here but like that's gonna like kind of give it away okay so i'm gonna start with a quote Uh uh-huh nothing about april 19th started normal nothing it was windy do you know what i'm talking about i'm just gonna get the bag ready yeah no i don't not so far Oh, God. (laughs) I'm going to come out the biggest dummy of all time. Okay. (laughs) Oh, fuck. (laughs) Fuck. Oh, tequila rose, you guys. Oh, here's the thing. I love tequila. You don't put it with cream. (laughs) It's illegal. I was really hoping you'd get that one. Motherfucker. I mean, yeah, because otherwise you'd have to drink it, and Uh that would suck. (laughs) Uh Next. uh... Oh, God. Okay. Fuck. Okay. Next quote. Mm Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks that we're monsters, that we attacked innocent people. We didn't drive up there and start shooting and killing people. We responded with deadly force because deadly force was used against us. <laughs> Is this like the Kent State Massacre or like nope. the- shit? One. Fuck. <laughs> Close. Wrong decade. Oh fuck. Okay. Lost the bottle. Ooh, oh God. New Amsterdam red berry. Yeah. I hate it when things say red berry because they won't say strawberry. They won't say cranberry. It's a red fucking berry and you'll take it. <laughs> like, well, this one fell out, so I'll hold on to this one. Oh, okay. What is it? Is it Goldschlager? Yeah. Oh, shit. I'm a fancy girl. You are. You're the fanciest little bitch. I have gold inside me. I love that even the little, like, tiny bottles have the little flakes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last quote. And if you don't get it by this quote, we're done. Oh, God. Oh, no. These children being killed. That didn't have to happen. David Koresh is the cause of why it all happened. Oh my god! Wait, it's a... It's a... Oh fuck. 
I know the name, but you know I'm bad at linking names to things. It's a cult. Kinda. Thing. Like, yeah, like, ish. Texas? Oh, 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 oh. I know what it is, but now, of course, I knew my bl brain was going to blank. I knew it. Oh, God. Oh, UV blue. <laughs> That's from Michelle. Oh, fuck you, Michelle. <laughs> this is the taste of uh, my college career uh -huh. right here. Yep. They just... Oh, God. It's the Bacardi banana. Holy shit. <laughs> That's disgusting. Fuck. I, I can't believe they made a Bacardi banana, y'all. That's disgusting. I have to try it. Oh. It's really bothering me because I know what it is. They just did a thingy about it. It rhymes with Playco. <laughs> Waco. <laughs> there it fucking is. <laughs> I knew it was. I was like, I'm like, I'm putting, I'm putting his name in the last quote. She's totally gonna know. No, like he's I like mean, super famous. That's my thing. Is I'm so bad. Some of these times, unless we've literally already done it as a thing, or I just watched a documentary about it, I can't link shit to shit. People's names to events, it just does not happen for me. Which one of these do I? You get to choose which one I have to drink. The tequila rose. Okay. What a huge bitch. <laughs> All right. So you're doing Waco, which kind is of. really okay. I'm not doing like Waco, Waco, because that requires so much more time than Days we have. Days of shit. Yeah. Because it's not just Waco; it's everything that happened after Waco right. and the conspiracy theories. The whole theories surrounding shit. Yeah. And all of that shit. Also. The standoff at Waco was 51 fucking days. <laughs> like, yeah, you could a never lot cover. Happened. Right. But there are some survivors we could hear about. Yep. That's cool. Um, I think you should have to. The banana? The banana. She's drinking banana and I'm drinking strawberry cream tequila rose. Actually, I feel like that's probably better than the regular. Shall we dink it? Oh, fuck. <laughs> that was like. It was like if I. Rubbed my ass on a strawberries and cream popsicle. Uh, <laughs> How's the banana? Oh, God. Did you want to try it? Yeah, a little bit. I have to know. Oh, oh, Plus, I just had strawberry, so strawberry banana, I mean, could be, could be worse. It, this like coats your tongue. It's like and then, hurting my nose. It is. Yeah. It's all up in the sinuses. Like I'm getting cleared the fuck out in the worst way possible. Oh God. Dude. Okay. So Waco. So Waco though. Uh. Okay. <laughs> so a shit. little background about Waco in case you somehow don't know anything about it. You're me, or you've been living this under a rock. This is the first rock. podcast you've ever listened to in the true crime. Right. There's, like, a couple that have, like, four-part series on yes. Waco because... Because it's insane. It's insane. Now, I'm not going to lie. I don't know the most about Waco. I know, like, yeah, the it's, outline. It's one of those that's overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, like, kind of trying to approach it. I was, like, sitting at home, and I'm like, I'm going to do Waco. And then I'm like, oh, my God. Why did I just do this to myself? <laughs> this is a bad idea. So I was going to say, let's talk about one of the most mishandled situations in current American history. So the siege on Mount Carmel in nice. Waco uh -huh. began on February 28th of 1993. Mm -hmm. 76 agents from ATF, so alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, arrived at the compound with a search warrant looking for illegal weapons. It was called Operation Trojan Horse. Nice. 
they weren't very sneaky about it. As you say, hubris, it sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) A shootout between federal agents and the Branch Davidians, which is David Koresh's kind of cult, but like also not really because there's, I like do a whole nother thing about the debate on whether or not it's actually a cult. Because like there's Hmm. actual experts who are like, "Mm." interesting. So shootout ensued. Four ATF agents were killed along with six Davidians. Shit. So it wasn't good. <laughs> and there was a lot of criticism that they hadn't done the proper amount of research. They went into it way too hastily. They just kind of said, fuck it. Let's <laughs> go. God, that's great. They just thought it would be easy. Yeah. They thought, hey, yeah, we'll get in here didn't work out that way (laughs) that is not how it happened um because koresh thinks he's like the second coming of jesus like he thinks he went when i sent you a quote about i think the lamb oh yeah 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 he like literally like went on a walkabout like in jerusalem a lamb talked to him oh okay so you're jesus huh thing okay bud and he's like i am now responsible for opening the seven seals that sounds more forth you know, the second coming of Christ and okay, like all of this shit. Sounds a little and bit more like the seals, Antichrist. Yeah. And <laughs> one of his seals was like, oh, I have to have multiple wives. Fuck BG you. BG dubs. Fuck you. And lots of kids. Bullshit. I need to fuck a lot. Whoever yeah, I like want. Taking people's children. Like his first official wife was 14. Oh, no. And her parents, like, he was legally married to her. Like, they went down to the courthouse with her parents, and they signed off. Gross. Hey, Texas, what the fuck? If you want to learn more about David Koresh, he's real fucked up, super into music. Like, there's videos of him singing, like, playing guitar. Like, it's not good. No. Oh, God. So, all right. They break in. He starts freaking out. He'd been setting his group up for Armageddon. Like, they'd been stockpiling weapons. He has them trained, ready to go, because he's telling them the end is near. Right. They're, so They sound like a doomsday cult, and yet... Kinda. Huh. Interesting. With a little more religion. Hmm. <laughs> really? Like, like an already established religion, as opposed to its own thing? You no, know, with a spin. Oh, fun. So he's been preaching this, setting them up, getting them really worked up about this. Two plus dozen ATF agents in full riot gear break down the door. And he's like, hi, I told you I was right. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Everything falls apart. Close enough, you little bitch. People die. And it led to a 51 day standoff. So they're just inside this... They have this huge compound, compound. for 51 days yes. with guns trained on them yeah. outside. They uh-huh. probably got guns trained on them too, but yeah. Wow. Okay. Floodlights. Um, I'm going to talk about, they brought in tanks. Like it. Was... <laughs> that just sounds like intimidation factor at that point. Oh yeah. As I said, this is one of the most mishandled situations in American history. Here. <laughs> so 51 day standoff they bring in a buttload of negotiators like and i have two of the negotiators are who i'm going to talk about for one perspective Mm -hmm. 
They're trying. But... <laughs> They're out there doing their best. The Branch Davidians had been ready for the apocalypse. So they'd been stockpiling food and weapons yeah. for years. That makes sense. So, yeah. <laughs> really, like, all the negotiators were really, really, really trying to do was to get them to release the children that were in the compound. That's very fair. At the time of the beginning of the siege, there were 46 children inside the compound. Fuck. So they had food, water, firearms, and gas masks. So in the first five days, they did release 21 of the children. Okay. None of which were Koresh's. Huh. Because he was like, he, like I said, he was fully committed to this whole Armageddon second rising, like I am the next Messiah. Fun. Yeah, <laughs> rawr, as Jesus would say. And he, <laughs> he believed that his children needed to stay with him because they were special as they were born from the message of God. I mean, sure, dude, sure. So a lot happens in between then. One, two, skip a few. It's April 19th of 1993. I'm drinking a little bit for my tequila. Yeah. <laughs> Federal agents are like, fuck it. Let's go. Oh, shit. Uh, FBI agent gets on the loudspeaker, tells Koresh this is his final chance to surrender, and I'm going to talk about that dude. He's basically pleading with him like, hey, don't make us do this. Right. This is like it. We're going to fucking gun yep. you down. Okay. They bring in the tanks. They break down the door with the tanks. They fire tear gas into the compound with the tanks. Whoa. A quote from one of the survivors inside, who I'm not going to talk about. Thibodeau, he has a book and, like, a bunch of other shit. So, like, go Google him. Yeah. Is that his last name? Yeah. Thibodeau? Nice. So, he said, the tank came in the front doors, the two double doors, and they just blew everything back. It was amazing to see a tank come through your living room. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, another... Davidian Clive Doyle, who I was going to talk about, but he's still an active member of the Branch Davidians. No. Like, the church continued after Koresh died. That's upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. That's no good. He said there were no gas masks for the children, so the parents were soaking towels in buckets of water. So, they threw they, in the tear gas when they, they were still... They didn't have gas masks for the children? No. What the fuck is that? How are you preparing for the apocalypse, but n like nothing for your kids, huh? It's, you know. Cool. Yeah. So around noon, four hours after they threw the tear gas in, a set of fires mysteriously broke out in the compound. That's interesting. Side note, they did bug the compound. So they could hear. So they could hear things inside. Mm -hmm. And there was discussion of the lighting of fires. But like, there's also a lot of controversy on how the fires started. Interesting. So there's obviously thoughts the Branch Davidians did it themselves. Yes, and then there's thoughts that instead of the tanks just kind of with the tear gas. Like, they, they were talking about there's, like, projectile tear gas that was used that's flammable. Oh, shit. And, like, just, like, it's a whole thing. But these there's fires don't break out. Sniper rifles. Like, it's, yeah. These fires don't break out right away. No. 
Interesting. Four hours after. Right. That's weird. Everything started. Yes. Interesting. The formal congressional investigation did conclude that Koresh and his followers did start the fires, but like... I mean, the government always going to say that shit, yeah, so... government's <laughs> going to cover their ass. Oh, always, always, like, always, always. We definitely didn't mishandle this situation. Oh, yeah. At all. They did it to themselves, mm-hmm. a hundo. Problem with the tanks. Mm-hmm. The tanks destroyed the interior staircases, which trapped... Most of the people on the second floor. Oh, shit. Oh, no. So, Thibodeau, first name David, barely escaped. He A uh, quote from him, The wall started to catch fire and I could feel the heat. It singed the side of my face. I could hear my hair crackle. Clive Doyle says, I could hear some of the ones that were further back into the building behind me screaming. Wow. I thought, nobody's getting out of there now. Woof. So, in the end, about 20 or 80 people, including more than 20 children, all perished in the fire. Oh, no. Only nine people survived the fire. Nine people total? Yes. And you said there are 46 children, they let 21 go. They released 21 kids. 20 of them died. Yep. So, you've got five kids left? You've got, yeah. So. Yeah. Nine people. Oh, what the fuck? So, the Branch Davidians rebranded. <laughs> what? You know. They're in the middle of a war, and they're just like, let's come up with like a new name. Like, when they got out. Oh, okay. The nine survivors, a couple of them were like, we're not done with this yet. Let's keep going. I mean, what the fuck? So, they are now Branch, comma, the Lord, our righteousness. Nope. And they have a new compound in the old Waco space. Jesus Christ. With a new leader. How could you even walk around in there? I'm going to get to that later, too. Woof, oh, my God. So that's one of our survivors. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's still a thing. It's still, I mean, if you, they believe that David Crush is going to rise again. FYI. Is he Christ or not? You all need to decide on your imagery. He's the next Messiah. Okay, well... The Messiah isn't supposed to break the seven seals. He's supposed to come down after the war starts, you fucking assholes. Listen, but like a lamb told him Uh to break the seven seals. And it wasn't a goat, so like it's legit. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Because Satan never just pretended to be a lamb. (laughs) I think I want to be something softer today. Yeah, the devil's just down there like... Mm. I meant an idiot today, you guys. You'll <laughs> never guess what I led him to do. I went, bah, and he's like, okay. <laughs> I got this. Break the seven seals, have many wives, fuck a lot, absolutely. Cool. He was easy. <laughs> yeah, like, Koresh, like, wouldn't let men and women live together anymore. Like, he got real controlling. He sounds like a cult leader. If they're not a cult... real rapey. Yeah. If, well, if, he, if they're not a cult officially, he is still a cult leader. That sounds yeah, exactly like one. And that's the thing is, like, I love to dig more into the debate on whether or not it's actually a cult because there is like empirical steps he didn't take Hmm. but also when your end (laughs) when your end product looks and smells and sounds like a cult it's a zebra maybe it's a zebra (laughs) (laughs) okay so i'm going to talk about our two fbi negotiators and they're kind of perspective on surviving this and getting through this from the outside. 
side. Mm-hmm. So Byron Sage is the one who was on the loudspeaker. He was basically like the head negotiator. If you ever watch a documentary about Waco, you'll see this old, like kind of grisly, white haired negotiator who's very vehemently defending what they did at Waco. That's Byron Sage. Okay, fair. So he, like, there's like this article he did an interview and they're like, at 12.32 p.m. on Monday, April 19th, 1993, FBI agent Byron Sage placed his right hand on his PA system's power switch. Oh, for cut's and sake. And flicked it from on to off. Do you want to tell me what he also ate for breakfast and whether he <laughs> farted at any point during the morning? Good Christ. Yeah. He, uh, a quote from Byron. It's one of those points in your life that you'll never, ever forget. By turning that switch off, it was like I had 51 other guys that were looking over my shoulder watching me say, we failed. Whoa. So he had been the first FBI negotiator to arrive on the scene after Operation Trojan Horse crashed and burned. Uh Um, So he was there almost the entire time. Yeah, he was there the entire time. Wow. And uh, he was basically the lead negotiator. He kind of... Shared duties. D- duties. <laughs> so he was the one on the morning of April 19th trying to get them to leave. After the tear got the tear goss. The Tugas. Tugas. <laughs> With Geoffrey Damas. Geoffrey Damas Tugas. So after they threw the tear gas in, he was the one trying to get them to leave. Okay. Okay. And it uh it didn't work. Um, He says, I went from orders to requests to ultimately, as the fire spread, please. Yeah, I imagine. Like, he was just basically begging them to leave by the end. Um, Many of the people who died in the fire were from thermal burns and smoke inhalation. Or from blunt force trauma that was because of the collapsing building. Woof. David Crush did not die by fire. He was shot in the head. Good. Um, <laughs> just, just saying. Although fire is probably... at least 20... Uh, I'd rather die fire. by a gunshot than That's fire. That's true. Fire's worse. And at least 20 of the others were also shot to avoid fiery death. Wow, okay. Sad moment. Uh-huh. One three-year-old boy had been stabbed in the chest. <gasps> Horrible. Yeah. Oh, babies. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. God, this is the 90s. Yeah. Like, I know we were still, we were kids when this happened, but like, it seems crazy we don't talk about it more. I remember the Oklahoma City bombing way better than I remember this. Yeah. Was that similar time? It was a couple years later. Okay. Yeah. I think 96, 97. Yeah. I just like remember standing in my living room watching this, trying to understand what was happening. Legit. And not... As my mom is just sitting there, like, slack-jawed. Right. I still don't even remember that one that much. But, like, I know I knew nothing about Waco. I mean, I was three. Yeah. But still, like, no one talked about it in a way that yeah. I could recall. So, he talks about, like, kind of what he did that night. Because he was just fucked up. Mm-hmm. You spend 51 days. And he had a lot of, like, one-on-one conversations with David Crash, Like... Shit, yeah. Because they're supposed to build relationships. Like, yeah. that's the thing with He's negotiators. Trust you. They've got to be able to talk. 
and they've got to be smooth in high crisis situations. Mm -hmm. And he'd like gone through this whole training for specifically super intense negotiations. So like he was supposed to be like the guy on point. Yeah. Not at all. Nah. (laughs) Nah. (laughs) Nah, 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 nah. Yeah. That's upsetting. Yeah. And it's like, you wonder, because I was like, this one doesn't really have like an outlaw feeling, but also looking at the negotiators and them being like, something told me this wasn't going to end well. Yeah. The second guy says that. He's just like, something told me we're not fixing this. Like after a certain point, if you talk to these people, you've done this before, you've talked to similar people in similar situations and like... There must be a look in their eyes or the way they talk. Like, you just know they're not going to fucking listen to you. They don't care. Yeah. So, like, he had to stay in Waco for a couple weeks because Mm. of aftermath. Yeah, fair. Clean up. And they said he, like, he took a scalding hot shower and face planted into bed. And his wife was knocking on the hotel door a couple hours later. Because, I mean... It was live news broadcasts. There were protests up um, by the barricade. Like, if you watch some of the documentaries. Oh, God, yeah. The newscasters were all up there. There were super extremists. Fuck the government. Live your best life and you have rights to your guns. Mm-hmm. Up there supporting them. Like, it was just awful. Awesome. Um, so he let her, his wife into the hotel room. And she just kind of stayed and, like, held him. Aww. And then left to go be with their kids. Mm-hmm. But like he just, it was like, oh my God, just getting through that. I mean, that's the worst moment of your professional life. Yeah. And it might be the worst moment of your life generally. Yeah. And like, he's been an advocate for the decisions that they made because he did have such a big part of it. I mean, to live with yourself, don't you have to kind of be like, I did the right thing. You I have had to, to have done. justify what you did. Mm-hmm. And he justifies it vehemently and over the years a lot has come out he calls it all a very skillful manipulation of facts which is why he's still such an active interesting voice Mm -hmm. because he like he was part of a documentary um he will give interviews if asked he reviewed a script for one of the documentary series that was released recently. Interesting. It was around like the 25 year anniversary. Mm -hmm. And he was very public about his dislike of the script. Because the script was like playing up the fact that like there were no real bad guys in this. Hmm. It was all really badly handled on both sides. Hmm. But that that might mess with like David Koresh is still a bad He's still a guy. bad guy. And it like I get that part of it, but like also then accepting the responsibility that the FBI fucked up. Right. He can't. I mean it's it's not great, but like also, I mean, is yeah. he still doing that? Or like how yeah. do you look back on that yeah. part of your life and not defend what you've done? Because otherwise Right. You're yeah. just lost. Fuck it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he says... This is, like, probably my favorite quote from him. <laughs> um, I told the Bureau a while back that in Texas, if your eye starts stinging and your nose hurts and you reach up and you've got blood on your face, you're in a fight 
and you damn well better realize that you are in a fight. The Bureau, the credibility of the public perception of the Bureau's integrity is in danger here. It's almost a depressing reality that you did everything you possibly could to resolve this peacefully, and then you're called a murderer. You know, a cold-blooded murderer. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I want to believe in him because he seems like he's very righteously upset. Yeah. But also, like, there's some humility that needs to be accepted, which, which is why I, like, I put him next to the other negotiator that was has also been very vocal about Waco mm -hmm. in a completely different way. Really? Okay. That's Gary interesting. Nosner, mm -hmm. um, oversaw the negotiation effort for the first half. So they had their lead, but then mm -hmm. they also had someone in the background kind of going, okay, this is not working. We need to change tactics. We need to do this. So he wasn't there for the, the very end when no. shit went really bad, no. but he was there early the on. Okay. Um, Cause I think he, had a lot of issues with their tactics hmm. because what the negotiators were telling them to do was the opposite of what the FBI was actually doing. They oh. did a lot of psychological torture. Um, they blasted loud noises at night, including the sound of rabbits being slaughtered, the chanting of Tibetan monks, which oh God. stopped after the Dalai Lama found out they were doing this and was like, Hey, Fuck you, no. You're using our shit as yeah. torture devices. Yeah. That's, a, yeah, that's really not cool. And then they cool. ended on Nancy Sinatra singing of these boots are made for walking. Oh my God. Just on loudspeakers all night. And remember, there are children in the compound. Right, right. Yeah, that's shitty. So he says their tactics doomed the negotiators from the start. I mean, you're making the people you're trying to negotiate with slowly go insane, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Worse than they already were, because clearly they're a little insane to be in this situation at all. Yeah. But you are depriving them of sleep, which we know more now is, like, really bad. Yeah. <laughs> that will fuck your brain right up. Yeah, and literally, like, that, that first five days, they'd gotten them to release 21 of the kids. And they'd also gotten them to release some of the adults with the kids. Nice. So it was 35 people including the 21 children. That seems like a huge thing. And then like no progress from there is like a right, insane. Because they, they got the progress and then the FBI was like, eh, fuck it. We're going to get you to break. We're going to smoke you out in, yep. I mean, and that seems like the most humane way you could probably do that, but also not good if they're, you know, if, if it doesn't work, you've, yeah. you've created a populace that hasn't slept in however. And like, well, yeah. And then they got them, uh, to release seven more people in March, late in March. And then a few hours after they released those people, they brought the tanks in to start crashing their cars. They were just bulldozing the compound cars. Oh, shit. And that night, then Koresh said to one of the negotiators, no one is coming out. Nobody. Well, at that point, that's destruction of private property. Yeah. These people sound like, you know culty libertarians on steroids and you're destroying their you're property. You're destroying their property now. <laughs> they release seven people and you crush their cars. Yeah, great. So a quote that I really like from Gary is, you know Pavlov? You can't train your dog to bring in the newspaper and then kick the dog and expect him to bring you the paper again. Yes, exactly. Um, he says, I'm quite certain that we would have gotten a lot more people out. I believe an argument could be made that we would have gotten everybody out. Waco has a resonance with folks that largely believe the government has overstepped in some of these areas. 
with current events, we've had a resurgence in folks that are very strong, negative feelings about the government. And he talks about Sage. And he goes, Byron is a loyal American, a courageous guy, true blue. It's hard for him to accept the fact that maybe a shortcoming of our organization that we love so much could have contributed to this. It's more comfortable and it fits the narrative better to say, well, Koresh was a bad guy. No one else was coming out. It had to end the way it did. So it's like, <gasps> right. Two opposite ends. And of people who had similar positions. Yeah. And saw similar and stuff. Very hands on. Interesting. So my last little bit is Joanne Vega was a child at the time this happened. Oh, shit. I, um, she was one of the kids that was actually brought out before the fire started. Oh, wow. One of my favorite little quotes from her is, trying to understand what it's like to take a bath just seemed very scary to me. Flushing toilets scared the bejesus out of me. I had no idea what the heck a basketball was. <laughs> oh, honey. That's somebody who spent their whole life. Yeah, she was born. In this compound, in compound. where they apparently don't have running water. No. <laughs> water was very conserved. Fair. Oh, my God. So she was six when she was released in with the other children. Um, and she said, as I grew up, the demons I faced were different from other kids. I had people saying you can go through something crazy like this and then become the Unabomber, which is what they told my family. Great. I had therapists telling me I was going to be a mass murderer. What? And to keep a close eye on me because of what happened to me. Just really hurtful things. What? Yeah. Yeah. That is some shit I feel like people wouldn't say today. And no. it wasn't that long ago. Gotta love the 90s. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Our third least favorite decade. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Maybe fourth. It goes 60s, no, 70s, think, 80s, and then 90s. No, I think it goes like... <laughs> 70s, 80s, 90s, 60s. Really? Yeah. Oh, but there's so much shitty things that happened in the 60s, too. I mean, okay. All right. Can this we put the bull- 60s and the 80s together? Yeah. Okay. All 70s, right. 60s, and 80s tied 90s. <laughs> Perf. So she was sent to live with her half-sister, Ursula German, in uh, Kailua, Hawaii, which is where her family was originally from before moving to Texas to join the cult. Great. Hashtag maybe like not cult. Why would um, you leave Hawaii to go? I know. <laughs> Never I know. leave Hawaii if it you're there. It doesn't make sense. Stay. <laughs> yeah. So both of Vega's parents, uh, Margarita and Neil Vega, did die in the fire. Oh. So she was an orphan. That's sad. So she was raised by her older sister, her half-sister, who was 18 years older than her, and did survive and not become a mass murderer. Oh, weird how most people don't fucking do that. She became a training and development director at a restaurant and she had two children and got married and lives in San Jose, California. Good for her. Yay. Um, so they had moved from Hawaii to the compound in Waco in 1987 looking for a place to belong. Um, she says... I don't fault my parents for making the decision because in the moment, if that's what was needed, okay. I just wish my parents were a more secure place to have made a better decision. I can't change that. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. She remembers pieces. Cause, I mean, it was like a pretty traumatic life. Yeah. Um, she remembers being um, 
not able to eat meat and then being immediately spanked for even the smallest of infractions. Look, this sounds really culty, just saying. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, like, depriving people of protein is another very specific culty thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, go I'm on. going to control your diet. Exactly. And it means, like, you're not, you're not getting shit to your brain again yep. that you need physically yep. to think right. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, as I got older, it started getting a little darker. It was a lot more fear. You just mm. didn't know what Koresh had up his sleeve at any given time of the day. Woof. I mean, imagine, like, she's six, right, when she yeah. got out? So, like, she's already and, thinking that? Yeah. And she said, along with a couple other people who were released, that at a very, very, very young age, um, the children were taught to believe that Koresh was God mm. and how to handle firearms. So, at the age of six, she knew how to handle a gun. I believe that. Um, they were also exposed to inappropriate sexual content and behavior. Oh, great. Yeah. Just a little bit of everything. Just a dollop of daisy on every corner of that yep. plate. Yep. Um, so she, she was there when they broke in. And she said, I just saw a whole bunch of black dots coming towards us, which was the helicopters. Oh, Scary. After that, it was just a hail of gunfire. At some point, I was walking around and I just saw a lot of dead bodies. I wasn't scared. That's what David said was going to happen. That these people were going to come and they were going to kill us and we were all going to die. To me, it wasn't anything outside of the norm. Wow. Imagine being like, yeah, this is... Par for it's the just course. Like what we do. This is, this is all do. I've ever been told is going to happen, and it did. Mm -hmm. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. And then when things started happening, her mom was like, this isn't going to end well. And her mom had that gut instinct of being like, you're getting out of here. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you get out alive. That's good. That's that's like she had an awakening moment and an uh-oh feeling clearly uh -huh. to be like, I got to get my kid out of here. I got to get my kid out of here. Like, I don't care about myself. Right. But she's got to go. Mm -hmm. and, wow. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a whole, no. It's a whole fucking thing it's is what it is. It's a whole thing. Um, so... When things started picking up, because, like, she got out in the first five days. So she's with her sister, her half-sister at this point, and it's on the news. Yeah. Oh, God. She said, she's just watching it? Yeah. Ugh. The news coverage of the fire, like, she came home from school and saw it on the news. And her quote was, I came home from school later that day, and she sat me down, her sister, and said my parents had died. Oh. I didn't cry. I wasn't phased at all because that's exactly what my parents had told me my whole life would happen to the Branch Davidians. Wow. Wow. I mean, that look, that's some doomsday shit. Like, yeah. I'm sure it was just surprising to her that she was alive. Yeah. When everyone else was dead because that was what was supposed just, to happen. Yeah. So she lived with her half-sister who did end up getting legal custody of her. Good for her, by the way. Yeah. That's a, like, that's a shit, good she person. She in the foster system. Yes. That's being a kid of the yeah. video. You said she was 18 years older, so yeah. she was so like she in was, her late yeah. 20s. Yeah. That's really good. 
It's kind of... So she says, it was kind of scary going from being spanked for everything you do and making mistakes as a kid to want and waiting for the axe to drop. Flushing toilets was a big deal. Baths were a big deal. Even running water in general. I had no idea what anything was. It was like I was starting over completely. She didn't know what a basketball was. No, she had no <laughs> idea what a basketball was. Baby. <laughs> so she was very quiet about like who she was and what she came from. Mm-hmm. Especially with like the resurgence. That's very fair. Because it just kind of never died. No one's really ever let Waco go. Yeah. It's always kind of been on the back burner and people just kind of keep like randomly bringing it up. I feel like, did we ever really process it? It doesn't feel like we did. So much shit was happening. So much shit kept happening. Like, I don't remember. The government did a formal inquiry and they cleared the FBI of what they did. Stop letting the government investigate itself. I'm serious. It's not good. I know you don't love the UN, but they're the only ones who could probably do it and be like, stop. You just can't let the U.S. be a part of it at all. You're supposed to be investigating something we did. Well, technically, when the U.N. is investigating actions of another country, they do a formal vote on whether or not that country can stay in the room That's while they're talking good. about them. I, I would bet that the U.S., because they are so powerful in that organization, would have a hard time getting kicked out. But you should. They're not you that just... powerful in the organization. <laughs> but they're the... like that. The, what are they? They're like there's five or seven countries that are always in the like yeah. inner circle. But if like if they're talking about the U.S., that inner circle is going to be like, oh, honey, get the fuck out. Oh. Bye. Y'all done fucked up. We got to figure out how. Goodbye. (laughs) So Joanne did go back to the compound. Oh, shit. The summer of 2018. Oh, my God. So recently. Which it's now a tourist attraction. That's disgusting. Anyway, it's like the Alamo, but like it happens so. Yeah, it's worse because it happens so recently. It's so fucking recent. Yes. Oh, remember Waco. (laughs) Fuck off. And it was the first time she'd been back there since she was a teen. Mm-hmm. And she said she kind of like had to wipe away some tears and had a really long moment just standing there. Um, the last quote from Joanne Vega. I never had an aha moment where my life clicked. For me, it was just a whole bunch of small decisions like, do I want someone to look at me and feel this poor, pathetic little girl? I never wanted any kind of stereotype to be associated with me because of what happened. So she got out because her parents, specifically her mother, was like, hey, this super isn't going to go well. Goodbye. Yeah. Oh. And like you have like just the negotiators alone having two such differing opinions, taking that and putting it in the moment. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, fuck. Some shit must have been going down. Yeah. Mistakes were it being made. Was in some bad. Ways. It was bad bad and if you if you go watch any of the documentaries if you go listen to any of the other podcasts specifically about waco and what happens Mm -hmm. it's a clusterfuck it seems like it must have been like it's a clusterfuck of no one was really in charge because you had a couple different people trying to make decisions and not talking to each other right and then contradicting each other with their decisions it just seems insane that like this would end up this way because it's like the worst way it could have happened really yeah and uh yeah, there would have to be mistakes made. We should have been able to de-escalate that situation. There's yeah. no reason why not. Honestly, Koresh was primed for a negotiator. He was so fucking full of himself. Oh, sure. 
somebody who's just going to be like, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely Wow, you're so smart. We can't let you die in this fire. Other people need to hear your message. Right. Say whatever you need to fucking say until they're outside. Like, how? Get them outside. How does this How did this fall apart? It's crazy. Yeah. So... That's a slice of the pie of Waco. I appreciate hearing like the little bit, the like the survivor. And that was Ten pages of cut down research. Yes, there was so much there. I now I'm gonna have to go like watch that. They had like that documentary, but like they also had like a mini, like a dramatized mini series. I feel Don't like watch the dramatized mini series. Okay, I started it and I turned it off. Oh, good to know. Fuck that shit then. Watch a straight up documentary. Um, Koresh recorded himself a lot. It was the early 90s. Like a fucking cult leader. Look, yeah. I'm going to have to watch this just for the arguments about whether or not it's a cult because I don't care. He sounds like a cult leader. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Holy shit. So go watch the documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's sounds insane. Fucked up. Yeah, dude. It's all fucked up. It's entirely 100% fucked up. And I'd love to talk about all of the shit David Koresh did, but I am not doing that. Yeah, this I is mean, not that podcast. We don't have four hours, <laughs> and neither do you, listener. No. <laughs> but they, you. you're yeah. Okay, look. So we're gonna end, <laughs> listener. I wish you were here so that you could tell me whether to drink the New Amsterdam Red Fucking Berry or, or the UV Blue. I have Dr. McGillicuddy's coffee. Oh, and Jaeger. <laughs> Oh, no, I feel like we do kind of have to end on those because they look the same. One of them is significantly smaller. One of them is also not and a also, glass bottle. One of them is Dr. McGillicuddy's coffee. coffee. That is disgusting. I have my hell. Ah! Um, did, did you ever hear of a... Oh, yeah, you were like... Oh, oh, we could do the dead Nazi. What's a dead Nazi? It's half Jaeger, half Goldschlager. Oh, fuck yeah, my dude. And I think there's rumble mints in it usually, but like... Who cares? It's a dead Nazi, so... How do we... Uh, 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 do you have shot glasses? Yeah. Um, I'm going to pause. pause this. And I've got some shooters. I just figured some larger glasses would be better. One of them is from Oklahoma when we went there, and it's got a tornado on it because Oklahoma knows what they're about. And then Tornadoes. one of... Earthquakes from fracking. Uh-huh. And then we've got one that says uh, 10 forward because we're nerds. Um, what was your girl survivor's name again? Joanne Vega. Wonderful. Thank you for listening to us. This has been the uh-oh feeling. Uh, I think you guys should be a little bit like Joanne. You should be a little bit like Lydia. You should drink a dead Nazi. And don't forget your can of water. God damn it! I think it was supposed to be half Jaeger, <laughs> half Rumplemints, and then like a splash of Goldschlager. So I think I fucked up. You know what? I, I was actually and, uh, kind of into it because it, it, the Goldschlager made the, the Jaegermeister less nasty. Oh. <laughs>